What's on the Menu with Adrian Abraham on Money FM 89.3. It's Money FM 89.3, and you're on 12 to 1 with me, Adrian Abraham. And today on the show, I have the chef and owner of Lok Meow, which is a modern Indian food stall at Maxwell Food Center. His name is Pasha Siraj. Pasha, welcome to Money FM. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Pasha, you run a little food stall at Maxwell Food Center. But, you know, before we talk a little bit about what's on the menu, what is your earliest memory of cooking? My earliest memory of cooking would be probably when I was eight or nine years old and frying an egg, a sunny side up. Yeah, when I was a kid, my mom, who does all the cooking in the family, she didn't really encourage uh, that much exploration in the kitchen because I guess the feeling is that it's a potentially dangerous place for our children. So something simple like frying an egg, it was something that we could do. So is it fair to say that your mom inspired you to start cooking? Yes, definitely. She cooked all of our our home-cooked meals. Like She has both a Peranakan heritage, which her family is quite proud of, and they're all good cooks. But she's also very much a self-taught cook in other types of cuisines. And I think I was fortunate growing up to have quite a cosmopolitan kind of range of foods that we had at home because she would refer to cookbooks and learn how to make different things. Even Indian food, which is not something that she herself grew up with, but she would teach herself from cookbooks like we had homemade chapati and things like that which you would expect in a sort of regular Indian family and it was something that she learned on her own. Just generally also my extended family, they're all, many of them are good cooks and so we grew up in this environment of really the feeling that it's possible to create really good food at home with your own two hands. Okay, so before you, you know, went into cooking full-time, you were in fact in publishing. Now, what made you want to, you know, start off doing this as your career rather than being a chef? When I was in uh, university, I had uh, I took a degree in, in linguistics. And when I graduated and I was out looking for a job, I naturally looked for work that would be relevant to the kind of education and training that I had. And so at that point in time, when I first came onto the job market, that was a job that I found and I quite enjoyed it. And I think I was able to do it quite well. But of course, the thing about the reality is that the publishing industry is very small in Singapore. So opportunities aren't uh, many. So fast forward like many years later, when I was again looking for a job and I found it difficult to re-enter the industry. So I had to sort of adjust and look for something else that I could do. Now, before switching to FNB, you were also in academia. Now, what mm-hmm. were you doing in this field? So I was actually pursuing PhD in linguistics. And usually when you do that, you are looking to uh, become a university professor. Generally, you know, you, you do research and teach in a university and so on. At some point, it wasn't working out for me. I was kind of burnt out. And so when I made the decision to withdraw from the field, I was again, you know, looking for some kind of work that I could get into too, like in a practical and realistic way. So from academia, you started working at a Japanese restaurant. Now, what made you want to change career paths, you know, from being in academia to, you know, working towards becoming a chef, completely different professions? Why did you do it? Okay, well, I mean, uh, cooking was something that I actually started 
doing regularly when I was 18 and I was living away from home on my own. I was an undergraduate at university and that was maybe, I would say, the start of a cooking journey of some sort. I found over the years that I enjoyed it a lot and I think I was fairly good at it. I found that it was a, a means also of connecting to other people because it always seemed like one of the sincerest ways of showing someone your appreciation would be to make something for them that they could immediately enjoy and so on. It was something that I did for many years, like informally in a non-professional setting. So I would cook for myself, I would cook for friends. Uh, even when I was in graduate school, the department would have colloquium dinners and there would, some students would be invited to volunteer to provide the dinner, you know, for like maybe 50 people or something. And that's something that I did. People always enjoyed the food. So that sort of was the background for a while. And later on, when I sort of stumbled into FMB as a way of looking for employment, it sort of reoccurred to me that, oh, this might be something that I could do because earlier in my life, like it's not something that was actively encouraged as a career. Many people know that it's a difficult, long hours, physically taxing, low pay, so on. So the conventional wisdom in Singapore is don't do it if you have better prospects. But at that point in time, I was looking for something that was uh, maybe closer to a tangible work. Like before that, I had always done this uh, white collar kind of jobs where the products of your effort are sort of intangible. Sometimes they are difficult to measure or to evaluate and with FMB, with cooking in particular, it's a tangible craft. It's something that you get out at the end and you can enjoy the products of your labor. Other people can enjoy the products of your labor and eventually dawned on me that if, if it's something that I've loved all these years, why not actually pursue that as a career as well? And so at that point in time, I enrolled in the diploma course at Sunrise and that sort of re really kick-started the professional journey in a sense. So the Japanese restaurant that I worked at was actually one of my apprenticeship sites, which I subsequently continued working at, you know, later on when I graduated and was looking for a full-time job. Now, fast forward to 2020, you opened up lots me out towards the end of the year. Now, anyone who's been to Maxwell Food Center knows that prior to the pandemic, of course, it's buzzing with the, you know, the CBD crowd and, you know, a lot of other people who go there for lunch and dinner and so on. But you opened during the pandemic, of course. It's a very different time, the new normal. Yes. What made you want to open up your own food stall? I think it's mainly about having the opportunity to make one's own vision a reality as opposed to working under someone else and sort of trying to work under someone else's vision. So at that point when, when the idea started to germinate, I had been working for other people. In many ways, it was a good experience. In some ways, I, I felt like I was champing at the bit or chafing under the experience and feeling like sometimes my creative impulses were not being stimulated. Partly it's because I've always had other goals as well. In opening a business, like I wanted, obviously it's a way of making money, but I also had other sort of like idealistic goals, like trying to introduce people to a healthier cuisine or to a more plant-based diet, something that was more along the lines of a social enterprise in a way. And I thought that the best way of doing that would be to actually take the reins, you know, run my own business and really have control over the vision, the product and everything. 
We're in conversation with Pasha Siraj. He's the chef and owner of Lakmiao, a modern Indian food stall located at Maxwell Food Center. Pasha, you know, you run this mm-hmm. place with your parents. Were they on board from the start when you pitched the idea to them? Yeah, I think in some ways they may even be a bit more enthusiastic than I am. <laughs> Sometimes I tend to because I deal with some of the realities of running the show, so I may not always come off as optimistic as my parents are, but they have really been the pillars behind the business like sort of like also sharing things on behind the scenes and definitely also just providing the hands and the legs. When I visited you at Lok Miao, you know your parents came and described all the dishes to us and you were very, you know, soft spoken and in the kitchen, you know, working your magic and this sort of food uh, when you see it, it's very different because, you know, it is what you say food that you'd get at Indian restaurants. but the presentation is almost very much you know gourmet what was the thought process behind this the one of my goals was to make a dining experience that is somewhat akin to a restaurant experience for people who be dining at a hawker center so usually hawker center food is very casual it's very down home I thought it would be possible to bring slightly higher level of sophistication to the the meal that I serve and that comes partly from the prior experience I have in working in in a fine dining restaurant and partly it's because we live in an Instagram age as you know and people nowadays uh, often take pictures of their food before they even start eating it and they post it and so on and so it's partly uh, to ensure that when pictures of the food go out you know the appearance functions as its own advertisement in a way like people who see it on their friends Instagram feeds would maybe have their interest peaked because it looks striking it looks different and also that's when you're walking in the hawker center and you see someone else with a tray of that food it hopefully draws your attention and it has happened before apparently someone passing by and then and they see it and they ask like uh, you know a stranger like oh where did you get that from and then the stranger tells them okay stall number 3 So it's it's partly practical, partly an aesthetic decision, partly trying to elevate the experience of like everyday uh, Indian food dining experience. And for a first timer heading to Lakmia, what would you recommend from the menu? We have something called a signature set has dishes that tend to appeal to a broader range of consumers. So it has a creamy lentil stew and a stir-fried French bean dish, and of course the grilled chicken that a lot of people like, and the signature butter rice that we serve. We think that it's a safe option for people who are more adventurous. We have a daily special which contains vegetable dishes that rotate every few days, and those are the dishes which tend to be a bit more novel or been sort of tweaked a little more from their traditional roots. So that there's really something for everyone depending on. what kind of diner they are what preferences they have and your pricing strategy is really quite remarkable i mean your set meals start at $4 and go all the way up to 6.80 now this is without adding you know other dishes to your tray why did you decide on such a pricing strategy well one constraint is simply that we operate in a hawker center and consumers do have some strong notions about the kind of pricing that's acceptable in a hawker center so 
one pressure that you would face as a vendor is that if you try to sell anything that's too expensive, consumers might have the impression, whether it's justified or not, that you're charging too much. So it was an important consideration to make the pricing acceptable to as wide a range of people as possible, given the setting. One of my goals always has also been to make food that is affordable to as many people as possible. So the thing about fine dining food in restaurants is that they are, it's largely out of the reach of people are lower on the income scale. And it's something that I have been personally cognizant of because even when you work as a cook in a restaurant, like you're generally quite low paid. And the irony is that if you were to go out to a restaurant, you wouldn't be able to afford the food that you cook on a daily basis. So one of my social goals has been to make restaurant quality food available to people who wouldn't normally be able to afford a restaurant meal like uh, so frequently. That's one pressure that's exerted on one end. The other, of course, is just to ensure that it's a viable business. So like it was any other food business, like a certain percentage of the price goes into the ingredients, some percentage goes into the rent and utilities, some into paying our wages, and then you know some percentage goes into the profit. And I think it's possible, particularly because I don't use very premium ingredients, you know, It's not fine dining in the caviar sense. I don't use caviar or like sea urchin or or something like that. I use ordinary vegetables. You know, I use chicken, which is not the most expensive meat. That's really the pricing strategy. Two tiers just because some, I have a healthy light meal that's $4 because some people are smaller eaters or they have certain preferences and the pricing just reflects that. And I mentioned earlier, you opened up your you know, food stall during the time of the pandemic, and it's nothing like what Maxwell Food Center used to be. I mean, now, of course, we've entered phase three and things are a little bit better. But, you know, what are some of the challenges that you've had to face while, you know, you opened up during this time? The pandemic kind of has thrown a curveball to everyone who operates there, not just me. Uh, Maxwell Food Center in particular used to rely heavily on tourists, which we don't really get any now. And it used to rely heavily on the weekday lunch crowd. And because people are still largely working from home, so the weekday lunch crowd is much reduced from before. For many people, it's currently, it's uh, really a question of like playing the survival game, the waiting game, trying to ride out the pandemic until such time as things get better. The conventional wisdom has been that you will try to supplement your earnings by getting onto delivery platforms so that you don't have to just rely on walk-in customers. But the, of course, the difficulty for hawkers in particular, anyone selling at such a low price tier is that when you go with the major delivery platforms, the amount that you pay for every order means that your earnings are pretty much wiped out. So it's not really a good solution per se. Some of the smaller delivery players don't charge that kind of delivery fee, but they also have smaller user bases and so on. To as far as I know, there isn't really a, an ideal solution at the moment. And we just sort of try to survive as best as we can, you know, and hope that, that things will improve. And what does the future hold for you and Lakmiao? I would say every business owner hopes that the future will bring prosperity and greater success and, you know, better business and so on. 
So I would say that's my hope as well. I think that in the long term, my food concept might evolve to better reflect the taste and the wants of the consumers because I'm a fairly new business so and I'm selling something that people have largely not seen before. So it's kind of uncharted territory. Sometimes I've had very heartwarming sort of uh, feedback and reception from consumers but at the same time I don't really have the high volume that some of like the more traditional stalls enjoy and so there's some as a business I have to balance these different considerations and so perhaps in the future like the menu might sort of like undergo some revisions. I've been asked before if I will expand and open up more outlets or something like that. I think that's something that can only do when you felt like you've achieved a reasonable level of success yet and I think it's still early days. Now, Pasha, before I let you go, this question has been on my mind ever since I visited your stall. What made you decide on the name Lock Meow? <laughs> so, uh, Lock Meow is a pun on the name of a major city in India called Lucknow. Lucknow is the state capital of Uttar Pradesh, which is actually where my grandfather was from originally. So, I guess there is a bit of a connection in terms of heritage or, or history in some sense. But it, it's also just meant to, to be something that's a little bit fun, a little bit cheeky. It sort of points to the more modern sensibility that I'm trying to bring to the cuisine. So, if you've been to my stall, you'll see that the logo is basically a riff on the Japanese lucky cat. And it's kind of like an, of an Indian lucky cat. And so that's the luck meow of the stall. It hopefully communicates something about the freshness or the zest, the vitality and a bit of the fun factor in, in the food. That's very interesting, Pasha. Now, for those who don't believe me yet, uh, go check out the Lock Me Out Instagram page to see very affordable food that is, you know, gourmet and sophisticated. The pictures don't lie because... In fact, you should just go down there, Maxwell Food Center. It's right there and you can try it out for yourself. Very affordable prices. Pasha, thank you so much for your time and, you know, joining me on Money FM 89.3. Wish you the best with Lock Meow and can't wait to see where this food stall takes you. Thank you very much.